0: I'm Jacob Kaufman, and I'm Richard Bimmer. and this is episode 13 of Rolling Release, our weekly podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. How are you doing this week, Richard? Good.
1: I just moved into my apartment on campus last week, so that's why I wasn't there. All right. I don't think we had an episode at all last week, did we?
0: No, last week we did not. Um, But yep, we're back this week, and there is some news that happened over the past two weeks. Most of our news is from the past one week. We're going to jump right in here, Richard. What do you say? All right. All right, and our first story this week is the Skype redesign is now available for Linux. So, Rich, do you remember when we talked about the Skype redesign some weeks back? Right. Yeah. We talked about how yeah. they didn't say it was available for Linux. They re- released it for PC and Mac, right? Mm-hmm. So it has now been released for Linux. So, like, we weren't sure if they were going to bring it over. Now we know they did bring it over for Linux. Uh, now a lot of people do not like this new this new Skype. Um, layout and that's not just the Linux people talking that's there's an article from the Verge about very negative feedback that Microsoft's been receiving but yeah no this new Skype version is available for Linux and you can go ahead and opt into it if you're on Linux now for me since I'm on Arch all that I had to do was download the new version from the AUR it was the same package as before I just downloaded the new version built it installed it Uh, Richard you're on Ubuntu um, so you weren't able to easily get this new Skype yet?
1: Yeah, I was currently highlighting articles at the time, so I haven't gotten to try that. I did update my packages, and didn't see anything new. Right. So but just doing a doing. Since an, we are in Discord, I'll close and restart Skype. Yeah, just doing an apt-get up.
0: Yeah, just doing an apt-get update is not going to update to this new version, though, is what they're saying. Um, according to OMG Ubuntu, oh, Microsoft okay. has a thing where you have to go and opt in to the new desktop preview, um, if you do want it. Unlike on Arch you know, opting in is just updating on Arch, that's how that works. But um, yeah, Microsoft debuted the new Next Generation Skype back in June, that's probably when we talked about it. It is the, it's a mobile first design is what they called it. And that's why a lot of people don't like it. I don't really like that it's mobile first because I'm I'm a desktop first person. I don't know about you, Richard. Yeah, I am definitely too. <laughs> um, our chat is asking if this is a native application. No, it is not, it is still an Electron app. Um, however, it is, it puts chat front and center. Is what they say Skype preview puts chat front and center that's a quote from Microsoft now you can see a, uh, a screenshot of it here I've actually got it installed as well I actually uh, I want to say two things about the new the new layout and by the way let me see here Richard I'm putting me and your Skype conversation on screen so you know all right we weren't talking about anything sensitive or anything though but <laughs> no. um, but yeah this is the new two-pane setup now, number one, yeah, I like that the chat's front and center because do you remember when we were trying to send chat messages with the old Skype a little while ago? And yeah. I couldn't figure out how to open up the chat when you sent me yeah. something once. So that's that nice. Was my problem as well. Yeah, so it's nice that like they're putting when you're it... in
1: full screen with video,
0: it's hard to even see the chat anymore and you forget how to, like, bring it back. Right. Now, here's the other thing I want to say about the new layout, though. Doesn't this look – do you see the screenshot of it? Yeah. Skype used to look and like I've this, And I've seen it right? on
1: – um, I'm
0: fairly certain. This I don't know. What...
1: I feel like on Mac it did like three, four years ago. No, I mean,
0: I haven't used Skype right. since I was using like Windows 7 as my day-to-day operating system, which has been a few years. But back when I used Skype, this is what I remember it looking like. Like we had the, the contacts pane on the left and we had the chat pane on the right. And, the, the, I mean, the buttons were there to start a call. I mean, this is what I remember Skype looking like. like. Like, the Skype Electron app was weird because it was a different app. But I bet if you compare this Skype to, I mean, the Linux QT version of Skype was always weird because it had several windows, which the Windows version of Skype never had, I don't think. But Yeah, like the old, I'm in the old Electron app right now. And, I mean, I feel like their layout has always
1: been with the contacts on the left, the chat on the right, and the call buttons at the top. I think what they just did with this is they made chat bigger and they kind of like for example in a screenshot it shows everything you know the contacts are shown a lot bigger all the um like individual messages are a lot bigger I the just realized older and yeah. less
0: information when you say they made it bigger I just realized that I cannot click and drag to make the pane between the contacts and chat bigger and our chat, our chat room our, for the stream is complaining about electron apps right now, and I was about to say it's not that bad even though it's an electron app. But really, that's something, if this was a native application, like I remember this layout on Windows Skype from years ago, but I, I know that you could drag that line to make the chat bigger, you know. It's, it's like a yeah. simple UI thing to drag columns to make them bigger in a program, and since this is an electron app, you can't do that here. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. that's a disadvantage of Electron. But, yeah, this is what the new Skype looks like. Um, Now, here's my – all right, so we'll go through a couple more things before I keep talking. So we've got uh, you can do more together in group calls with real-time screen sharing and photo sharing. Now, screen sharing, Richard, Skype on Windows and Mac OS has had screen sharing already, right? Yeah. Uh, But it has screen sharing on Linux now, which we haven't had ever. So but unfortunately, I have not gotten to try yet since I haven't updated, but <laughs> right. But yeah, Skype on Linux. now which does That's support. definitely
1: one of the definitely, in my view, one of the like, probably best part of this update would be because the other features, I don't know, to me, I'm not a huge fan of the UI. I kind of agree with people who are in the verge and who are saying that the mobile first design is not that.
0: Yeah. I mean, but I like the new design going. layout wise. Um, I've got some problems with the colors, and we'll we'll just go ahead and talk about it right now. I mean, look at these colors. First of all, I'm using the dark theme right now because the light theme was awfully light. Um, So go figure, I turned on the dark theme. And like the Discord dark theme, if you look at Discord, it's like grays, and like maybe a little bit of purple tint, but most of it, it's like a a dark gray or a light gray, depending on what you're looking at on Discord, right? Mm -hmm. You look at the Skype dark theme, And I don't know if you're watching our stream right now, Richard, but, like, my Skype with Dark theme, it's literally black with white text on it. It's way too strong. I don't know if it's, like, actually, like, 100% black, but it's definitely way too dark. Um, And there's also no difference in the, the shade between like the contacts panel, oh, yeah, on the I'm chat panel. The now, and I can definitely see that. Yeah, so it, it doesn't look good color wise. I love the layout colors suck right now. Also, what's up with these chat bubbles? Like you see how it starts with blue on the left and white on the right. It like it's a yeah. gradient on every single chat bubble. That just looks tacky. It looks old timey. Now I can actually go here and yeah. you, can, you can customize that. I'll go to view profile. It's yeah, under the same thing.
1: They still have the gradient effect. You just right. have a different.
0: Yeah, I go under color. There's different options I can choose from, but I can click another another color here and click OK, go back out here. Well, that didn't even take effect, did it? Um, <laughs> no, yeah, that just, I guess that, that just sucks.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe well, open another conversation well, and go back. I
0: don't know. Yeah. Um we can't I can't even show you that it looks bad with the other colors because now it's not changing colors even when I try to. But but yeah, this gradient thing going on, you know, if if you're going for the modern like mobile first theme, it's all about flat colors now anyway. So I don't know why they thought yeah. it was a good idea to put gradients in if they're going for a modern theme.
1: Also, I just feel like the mobile first trend is to make everything the text and everything really large which kind of gets my nerves because, like, I don't know if if you've used the mobile version of Twitter the new one, but when after that update, they made the content, like, you could fit so much less content because they made the default font size way larger. Yeah. And so, like, tweets, like, you could see two or three tweets on screen compared to, like, the four or five I could read before at once. So, like, I had to immediately adjust the font size way down. Yeah. And, for example, here, like, I can tell where it shows my name is way larger than when I'm, like, looking at your mind. Well, I'm looking at... they got rid of
0: they got rid of the status stuff, they got rid of like All right, a lot of the I, other things. I like that though, because I remember when they added the status stuff and I thought it made no sense. We were, me and you were both using Skype before they had statuses. I mean, you could, you could set yourself a status forever on Skype and it would be like, if somebody looks at your profile, <laughs> then it would say underneath your name, it would say what your status is. Do you remember though, like they, they started integrating, it was right around when Microsoft bought them, they started integrating with Facebook and then it was like, oh, share what you're doing, like trying to make it into a social network. Do you remember that? When they added yeah. that, like that never made yeah, sense to me. If you
1: go to the front page of Skype, it shows all that. Actually, I don't even know how to access the front page of Skype in my current one, but right. and I'm not sure you can in the new update. But there yeah, it, yeah. It would be like it would be like a feed. Like no, yeah, a social but I never used the Skype. Statuses.
0: Yeah, I never used the Skype feed though, so I'm happy they got rid of that, honestly. Um, and I like I, you're talking about how your, your name looks bigger and everything. I really, I don't want to click on anyone else's stuff here, but, um, I don't think this is, I, I don't think anything looks too big at all. I mean, there's like, there could be a little less space between the chat messages vertically, I guess, but in terms of like the contact list, I'm fine with how big those are I am on a high DPI monitor, but if I drag it over to my 1080p monitor, it still doesn't look bad. Um,
1: yeah, I hadn't seen the update on this yet. But I had been basing most of my stuff off how it was affected when I updated on my um, iPhone a while back when I updated the Skype app. Okay. on um, one that like everything got substantially bigger and it was like I could t- just like the Twitter thing the trend had been I could now see like two messages on screen at once. Yeah. As opposed to the old well, system yeah. in which I could see a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm not having a problem with that on Skype right now. My my main problem is just the colors. Uh, they definitely need to touch those up. Um, looking at the article again though. There's a couple new features. There's a notification panel now for keeping track of mentions in group chats, which could be nice if you're using this for a lot of group chats. Yeah, it can get messy. Um, there is a. All right, so here's something. If you get Skype on your phone now with this new Skype, there's like that Snapchat feature basically where you can capture a photo and send it and it disappears after five seconds, right? We talked about that last time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that is not in the desktop version, only in the mobile version. On the one hand, yeah. I like the. I don't the, have a webcam, so that doesn't affect me a whole lot right now. Well, here, here's two things about that. One, the art, like the author says, oh, it's a good thing that's not in the desktop version because I hate those features, right? And it sort of makes sense that, like, that's you know, Snapchat's a thing you do on your phone. You're not going to be doing that on your desktop. But on the other hand, the whole point of what they're trying to do is like, oh, it's Skype. Use it anywhere. It's cross-platform. iOS, Android, Linux, macOS, Windows. Um, they're saying it in a different order than that but yeah their whole thing that they're trying yeah. to do is get you to use one one app for your communication across all your devices so why would they have a feature that's on some of the devices and not others it seems kind of fragmented. yeah made. it
1: seems it does seem weird you're right that they would have a feature on one and not on the others and at a certain point i don't get why that would bother you just having a feature you don't end up using I mean, if you're not going to take a Snapchat, yeah. No, I mean that's that's, that's kind of like that. And send well, it. I don't know why I bothered the author that much, but
0: you know, we were t- we we've, we've made fun of that before. I think though, where like everyone wants to make the next blank, everyone wants to make the next Snapchat. Uh, Skype's not the only person. There were lots of messaging apps that were cloning yeah. Snapchat, and it's unneeded. You know, Instagram. if you want to use Snapchat, use Snapchat.
1: Like clone stories.
0: Right. And it's like, you know, I didn't use that Twitter feature that they added to, or the Facebook feature that they added to Skype, you know, and use, like, where you log in and you got your profile. It was annoying to me to log in and see that every day. It's like, I don't need this screen here. I don't want that screen here. It's taking up space. So I can understand if a feature is just so entirely, completely useless and out of scope that it shouldn't be there, then don't put it there. I understand that. But, um... But yeah, going through the article some more, there is, uh, they, uh, Microsoft is collecting feedback through an in-app mechanism since this is a desktop preview. And yeah, the last thing the article says is Skype screen sharing from Linux works. Now, Richard, there is a caveat to this. You want to guess what it is? What you want to, you don't want to take a guess. Um, that I won't work with Wayland. (laughs) Good guess, because yes, that is the caveat. The screen sharing feature will not work under Wayland. If you're already running Ubuntu 17.10, for example, the next version of Ubuntu that's coming out next month, then you're going to have to log out of your Wayland session if you're running NVIDIA with open source drivers or Intel or AMD. Now, keep in mind, like, most people are going to be falling back to X11 anyway. It's not like Wayland is actually ready, but Wayland is technically the default. So if you're running Wayland and you happen to actually be using Wayland, then you're going to have to log out, log in under X if you want to use the screen sharing feature with Skype. So by yeah. By the way,
1: chat is asking about um, free alternatives to Skype. Yes, I they are. I assume you're meaning open source by free because Skype itself is free. I mean, I guess no, they they're do talking have, about free they isn't do freedom freedom. Multiple.
0: Yeah. This is the person who was just talking to us about how they didn't want to use G apps. Like this person knows. Yeah. Um, so let's see here free alternatives to skype um it's not exactly an alternative let's see here all right i'm thinking i'm thinking jitsi for video calling is open source and i think maybe libre um we i we didn't this isn't something we researched this is a, a live question from chat but uh now me and richard we were using jitsi for a while it wasn't great um for yeah. our usage But that, I mean, we were also like live streaming and doing other things. So if you're wanting video calling, I'd recommend Jitsi if you're looking for something free and open. Um, Now for text, here at Nerd of the Street, we use Rocket Chat for text um, chat. And it is, it's different. It's not really a Skype alternative. It's more of a Slack alternative. But if you're looking for text chat, it's something you can consider. Now with Skype, it's something that you join the service and then you can connect to other people who have joined the service. So something like that, you really need a central, you kind of, yeah, you need a centralized system. If you want just to be able to text people without having them sign up on your server first. Um, so for that sort of thing, I mean, yeah, Or if you don't want to have to run a server for it, (laughs) right? That too. And like Jitsi, you don't have to run a server for it because there are servers available, but, um, yeah, I'm trying to think, I mean, for text chat, telegram is mostly open source it's not completely open source though um, their encryption I don't think is open source but telegram is more free than Skype um, discord honestly yeah. is not really discord works great and it's a skype alternative that me and Richard are using right now and it's got text and voice and they're rolling out video chat but um, but yeah it's its, it's- like random people yeah, well, it, Discord is just as locked down as Skype is, if not more, um, because of its server-based architecture. So, uh, yeah. I mean, our our person in chat is saying they're just going to stick with IRC. It's like, I don't think IRC has video calling capability. I don't think it has audio <laughs> calling capability. So, yeah, I mean, WebRTC is where it's going to go. I mean, if Rocket Chat had good video calling support, we'd be using that. Um, yeah. Yeah, watch that space. Unfortunately,
1: I actually opened a call with it once and like completely glitched out. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's not quite there yet, but yeah. Um, next story though, and maybe I'll do a video on free Skype alternatives in the future. Next story, introducing the new GNOME settings panel. It's called, it's no longer called the Control Center, it's now called GNOME settings going along with GNOME web and GNOME files and GNOME everything else. Which once again, it means if you've got it installed side by side with another desktop operating system or another uh, desktop environment, you're not gonna know what any of your programs are because they're just called settings. It's like, which settings (laughs) is this? Is this GNOME settings, is it, it's just settings. Um, so that's annoying, but yeah, they Gnome went ahead and redesigned their entire control center. They've been working on this for a long time. You couldn't tell because they were f- working on fixing the panels, which when they say panel, they mean control panel. They mean the individual page in the control center. And then switched to the new shell after the demo with all of that, which they have now switched to the new shell for the new control center. Um, so yeah, the new settings layout is the official one as of Gnome 3.25.91, which will be released with Gnome 3.26. Uh, so this is what it looks like. There's a screenshot in the article. It looks pretty nice, Richard. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah, the screenshot definitely looks pretty nice.
0: Yeah, I'm actually okay with it. I mean, I the the GNOME settings panel, a lot of settings panels really, um, the GNOME settings panel looked pretty similar to the KDE one actually, where it's just like a bunch of different icons with different places you can go. And KDE has a search panel in here, which I have to use often. But yeah, even in GNOME, it's it would get a little confusing which icon do I need to click on. So... Um, This new settings panel is a two-paned approach, sort of like iOS settings. It sort of reminds me of actually... Yeah, that's
1: actually what it kind of reminded me too when I saw it. it, Yeah,
0: on an iPad. um, Because on an iPhone, it's one pane at a time, and then the iPad is side by side. Um, But yeah, yeah, new layout. And yep, they've been working on it for a year and a half. Um, 15 people worked on it. Over 30,000 lines of code were changed, which that's a lot of lines of code. It is going to be a lot easier to make this work on low-resolution displays. They did redo the network panel specifically um, to work with the new layout because if you look at a screenshot of the old networking panel, um, it had a left pane and a right pane just in itself, the old networking control panel. So they figured, oh, well, we can't have, like, a left pane and a right pane and then another left pane. That's just too many panes. Um, So they have redesigned the networking area. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Have you seen the, the networking screenshots?
1: Um while I'm looking at the stream right now.
0: Okay. I I'm not sure how I feel about this in particular with the um just the base networking control panel I guess it's called. Um, where you've got like all of your different connections listed or your possible connections listed. They've got wired, yeah. Bluetooth, VPN, and it looks I nice. I can imagine that getting messy, right.
1: particularly with wireless. <clears throat> yeah, they, they don't, they really
0: don't have show wireless there. Yeah, so. was, that was what I was about to say. They This looks nice, but they don't have Wi-Fi in this example. So if you've got 30 different Wi-Fi networks showing up and you need to add a VPN, you're going to be scrolling a while to get to the bottom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do like this next screenshot they've got though. I do like this new place to put your settings in for individual connections. Look at this. You can select your your if you're doing DHCP or not. Um, you can put your DNS in here, turn it automatic on or off. Um, you can set your IP address and everything there. And this is the same functionality we had before, but they have reorganized it or they've yeah, reordered totally a lot
1: it. cleaner. Yeah,
0: it does look a lot cleaner. And this is something that hasn't changed for years. Like ever since I started using Linux until the very last version of GNOME before this one, it looked basically the exact same the the connection settings panel. Um, and it did look cluttered. There were a lot of settings that I never use and they've sort of simplified it here. Um, so I actually like what they're doing with this dialog box in particular. Um, they yeah. are going to split up the Bluetooth connections into a new control panel. So they are going to, in the future, you can see they've got wired Bluetooth and VPN. They're actually gonna take Bluetooth out and put it into another panel. Um, they're going to call it mobile broadband. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you should call that, but maybe just call it Bluetooth. Yeah. But, um, but yeah.
1: <laughs> I feel like that would be confusing to a lot of people. But yeah, this,
0: uh, this new network dialogue that I was talking about, it's called the advanced connection editor dialogue. So that's there. And then they've got some new icons for a couple of the panels. Um, yeah, they say that testing the new settings app and filing bugs would be a tremendous contribution. So if you're a GNOME user, feel free to give back a little bit by testing the settings app, filing bugs. They say bonus points if you provide a patch fixing that issue if you happen to be a developer. But even if you're not, um, yeah, it sounds like they are open to feedback. So, yeah. Any other thoughts Sean about that?
1: asking... If this makes the tweak tool irrelevant. No, it's all the same. It's yeah, all the same settings.
0: That. It's just a different layout for yeah. the settings. So, Which,
1: I mean, definitely is welcomed. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, a lot better.
0: it's a welcome change. But yeah, no, if you were using tweak tool because you wanted extra settings, you're not going to get more settings with this. All right, uh, our next story you want to talk about, Richard, it is Google's doing some stuff. All right, so basically Google is mandating
1: the Linux kernel versions in Android Oreo, which is going to be the new version of Android mm-hmm. releasing. And um, basically for a while, they were just letting the OEMs use whatever version of the kernel they wanted to as long as it passed the certification tests that Google had laid out right and this was mostly working they were talking they talk about in this article how it was mostly working but there were a few that were then falling through the cracks and using really old outdated versions of kernel right so when you say falling
0: issues. through when you say falling through the cracks what they mean is most of the oems by themselves were already using up-to-date kernels but there were a few smaller yeah. oems that were starting to use older kernels and google saw that and wasn't happy about it
1: Mm-hmm. so like the version 3.18 of linux kernels like at end of life right now mm-hmm. and um they said basically starting this year, smartphones that ship with Android Oreo is going to be required to launch with kernel 4.4 or newer. Yeah, for and all system-on-a-chips
0: produced or dies in 2017. So this is for new devices yeah. being announced. So
1: basically, this would make, obviously, the Linux kernel more secure because it's using the more, most recent version, and it also makes it um, easier to patch, is the hopes, because they're going to try and require Project Treble, which I don't know a whole lot about Android. Yeah, well, not try will and require it. Part of the requirement. Yeah. well they're going to require, yeah. yeah. And um, basically they're gonna require Project Treble, which is working to modularize Android from what I read. Yeah. And that the idea is to make, so this would make it easier to also just update each core module separately. So they can hopefully update the kernel as well. Well, it makes it so that I, you don't have to thing. update
0: the drivers in order to update your Android version. So Google can ship you an Android version without having to go through HTC to get the drivers first.
1: okay. Which so that
0: would hopefully speed up updates going to it would speed up detail, higher right? level updates while yeah. making lower level ones less important. Oh, okay, but yeah, not yeah, necessarily speeding them up. They were
1: getting right as a lot of the OEMs, like your actual phone on your network, would not get updated. It would be like five months behind.
0: Right. Yeah. So they're trying to so, say, yeah, OEMs say, oh, we we can't update your Android version because we don't have enough resources to write the new drivers. Which most of the case, uh, most of the times, that's not actually what's going on the oem you know they're just lazy and don't want to update android but or they want you to buy a new phone is the real reason um but yeah Yeah. this is google trying to make a compromise and say all right well we'll let you keep the kernel version and the drivers the same but then ship our new google apps and everything on top of it is what project shovel is doing Um, now like you mentioned or like we mentioned earlier this is only a requirement for new system on a chip so new chips in new devices that are being produced this year Um, and launch this year. If you have an existing device that's upgraded to Android Oreo, it's only required to run kernel version 3.18 or newer, and it does not have to be upgraded to support Project Treble.
1: Which seems to kind of defeat a lot of the purpose of this, I kind of feel.
0: Not really. Well, Richard, here is the thing. If they tried to require everyone who upgrades to Android Oreo to support Project Treble and have a 4.x Linux kernel, you know what would happen? What is manufacturers would say? Oh, we need to do all that work to upgrade to Android O. Guess we're not upgrading to Android O.
1: Yeah, so, and I guess I can see that, but I don't know. Then it just kind of fractures even the people running Android Oreo, meaning like you could be running Android Oreo on a different kernel it, anyway. That's then. already how it
0: worked, though. Yeah. And at least with this new requirement for the new devices, in five years, 4, everyone yeah. with a device is going to have four point x I guess or above. small steps yeah that's small what it is was the
1: idea they're Over looking time it'll eventually even itself out yeah like that's going to be more than just this this is kind of just the early kind of stage moving towards that idea i guess mm-hmm. do you have any other thoughts about that that uh story um not a whole lot so i All think right.
0: that's probably pretty much everything yeah Our somebody our chat is asking how is fuchsia's progress i don't know how fuchsia's progress is <laughs> there haven't been any more articles about it so uh they're probably still working on it internally, but we don't know. Unless, have you read up about Fuchsia anymore, Richard? No. All right. Uh, well, our next story that we're talking about here is Seuss put out a blog post basically declaring that they are going to continue supporting ButterFS. So you may recall a few weeks back, I'm not sure this might have been a week we missed or maybe not, but did we talk about when Red Hat dropped ButterFS? I don't think we did. All right. Yeah, Red Hat dropped ButterFS. Um, Like they said, all right. But yeah, no, we did. We did. I think we talked about this because ButterFS was an experimental feature in Red Hat. And they basically said, this is never going to move out of the experimental phase. We're just going to drop it Um, because ButterFS has had some problems. It's been a little bit rocky uh, with stability and whatnot. Now, Seuss being a fierce, you know, they're another big enterprise distro and organization. Now they're based in Europe. They're a little bit different. Uh, they're running OpenSUSE rather than Fedora, which they're different projects and everything. But but yeah, SUSE has put out a blog post talking about how they are going to continue um, contributing to and supporting and pushing forward ButterFS, even though Red Hat has dropped it. Because a lot of people, when Red Hat dropped it, they said, well, that's it, ButterFS is dead. But um, mm. SUSE is basically saying not if we have anything to do with it, which we'll see if they have the poll for this or not. But um, they start off the article with a little bit of a of a jab at Red Hat, they they worded this really weird, I was talking to Richard about this, it's a German company, so they don't have great English, but basically they said that Red Hat is a, quote, rather small contributor to ButterFS, and they say Seuss is the strongest contributor to ButterFS today. Um, Now, it's interesting, they say Seuss is the strongest contributor to ButterFS today, 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 Red Hat (laughs) is no longer a a contributor. So I wonder if yesterday when Red Hat was still contributing, if that would have been a true statement or not. But uh, they say SUSE is committed to ButterFS as the default file system for SUSE Linux Enterprise. Uh, So that's a nice, solid statement there. Um, And they say Seuss is not alone in that. Facebook, Fujitsu, Oracle, and others are actively involved in contributing to ButterFS, making it a true community effort, because all those people are communities and not corporations, of course. (laughs) Um, So we've got Enterprise Readiness. They're talking about some of the features in ButterFS. Um, Seuss started their involvement with ButterFS by making copy-on-write and snapshot support in ButterFS six years ago. Uh, Then they added out-of-band deduplication in 2012, simple raid functionality in 2014, which turned into a huge fireball and almost killed it, Um, and then compression in 2015 they added. And they just ended up uh, supporting the eagerly anticipated send-receive functionality last year in 2016. Um, Now, against the demand of some partners, Seuss is bragging that they are refusing to support automatic defragmentation in-band deduplication and higher raid levels because the quality of these options is not where it ought to be so they're like bragging that oh we're not shipping unstable stuff i guess that's that's (laughs) a good they're
1: saying they're the biggest contributor now so maybe it's on them to start yeah i mean make it yeah (laughs) make it um make it stable yeah I mean, they were only saying basically
0: less than one thing a year over the average of 2012 to 2016. Richard, have you ever written a file system? I completely understand that it's (laughs) taken them a long time to do this because like files, like this is freaking complicated stuff. You know, we've been using ext. We've been using ext on Linux forever for a long time, maybe not forever, forever. But ever since I started using Linux, we've been using ext, I think. EXT4 was out before I started using Linux. So like, you know, file systems don't move often. I mean, yeah. when when did Microsoft last update their file system? They're using NTFS. NTFS that started with yeah. that started with Windows was that XP or 2000?
1: Um, I don't know. I it was one
0: of those it. two yeah. that yeah. NTFS started with. Um, so yeah, Microsoft hasn't updated their file system in 15 years or so. And it still make
1: people pay Royalty fees to use fat to like support it.
0: Huh. Well, yeah, it's literally just the file allocation table. You still have to pay a royalty fee to use it. Well, yeah. Um, I completely understand why it's taking so long to get ButterFS moving forward. It is unstable right now. That's why I'm not using it. But yeah, SUSE is saying that people should use it for mission-critical systems. Um, In SUSE Enterprise 12, so this is what they are shipping. SUSE Enterprise 12, they added snapshot rollback of the entire root file system. So you can do a snapshot of your entire computer, including your kernel version and updates that you have. Um, And as of today, that was released in 2014. Now, three years later, uh, it's still the only, they say, the only mature implementation of this functionality in the Linux world. So yeah, SUSE is the only enterprise distro with snapshot rollback of the entire root file system in the, well yeah, in the file system support built in, and that's because of ButterFS. They're also working on some things for the future, quality of service on the storage level they're working on, and also um, they've already got compression built into the file system, they are working on encryption at the file system level. So Yeah. I I do think that it would be cool to have some of these features on a desktop. I can't see where I would use all of it personally, but yeah. some of it, I um, think it would be neat. So yeah, that is what's going on with ButterFS. Anything you have to say about that? No, not a whole lot. So. All right.
1: So covered everything.
0: And our next story is Ubuntu Budgie, special edition computers. Um, did you? Who was talking about this? Me. Yeah, I was talking yeah, about this. So, it. Ubuntu so. Budgie. This was an interesting story for me to read about because uh, Ubuntu Budgie has partnered with uh, Nimbusoft, who is a no-name OEM. Nimbusoft is a Linux OEM, and they ship Linux on all their computers. Ubuntu Budgie has partnered with them, so you can now purchase computers with Ubuntu Budgie pre-installed. Now, Richard, you didn't even know what Ubuntu uh, what Ubuntu Budgie was when I sent you this article, did you? No um so what ubuntu budgie is is it's ubuntu with the budgie desktop environment and budgie is the desktop environment that was originally written for solus as part of the solus distribution uh, which is an independent rolling release distribution that i haven't been following but apparently it's gotten really big while i've been turned the other direction so (laughs) now the interesting thing about this is that I really I thought it was strange when Ubuntu Budgie came out like as a distro. I thought it was weird when Ubuntu Budgie was released because think about other distributions with self-developed um, desktop environments. What other ones of those do we know of? We've got Linux Mint with Cinnamon, right? What other distribution? Elementary
1: OS, maybe? Yeah,
0: well, okay, well, there's another one. So Elementary OS, we'll do that one first. Elementary OS has, what's it called, Pantheon? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Is there an Ubuntu Pantheon? I don't think so there might be no there's not um can you get oh, pantheon no, but I, meant, yeah, I
1: you can get pantheon on ubuntu i think like mm-hmm. you could just manually
0: add it but well you can manually do any of it yeah because it's all open source but is there an ubuntu pantheon spin no there's not a fedora pantheon spin yeah, You can get Pantheon on Arch manually, like you're saying, but like it's recommended that you don't do that because it's not made for things other than elementary OS. So that is a, that's a desktop environment and a distro that go together. We've got Linux Mint with Cinnamon. Once again, um, Cinnamon actually took off on Arch a little bit, but it's still recommended that you don't do that. There's no Ubuntu Cinnamon. There's no Fedora Cinnamon. There's no OpenSUSE Cinnamon. Um, Cinnamon is only for Linux Mint, developed by Linux Mint. And we've got Ubuntu had Unity. Did you see anyone running Unity on Arch? Or Fedora? No. no Ubuntu no. developed Unity. That's what you had. Of course, that was an Ubuntu spin because it was Ubuntu, but um, it's really weird to me that like Solus came out and they're like, Oh, we've got this desktop environment, budgie. It's just for us. We've made it from scratch. And then like Ubuntu, who hasn't been doing spins recently, like they, they missed Pantheon, they missed Cinnamon um they hit budgie somehow and now they've got a new bunch of budgie spin and it's popular enough to partner with these people now of course i don't think you should purchase a computer based on what operating system or what linux distribution what linux distribution comes out if you want to get a, a linux desktop or a linux laptop i get that you know i purchased a computer from system 76 but, um, you know, I can buy a new bunch of computer and put Arch on it. And it sounds like Nimbusoft, all of Nimbusoft's computers come with Linux. Like, none of them come with Windows. See, yeah, they're very front page. We build laptops and desktops born to run Linux. And that's a quote that, like, System 76 also uses the wording born to run Linux. <laughs> uh, I guess that's just a, a buzz phrase now. But, so if you.
1: Like, kind of System 76 has a kind of
0: competitor, too. I mean, I well, not Nibisof's really, because I didn't hear now, yeah, there, there's a reason you haven't heard about Nemesoft, just like IntraWare. Like, there are a lot of these smaller, I mean, Linux Penguin or Think Penguin, that's what it is. There are a ton of really small OEMs. System 76 is still by far the yeah. largest one, but, um, but yeah, now here's the difference though. So you're not just purchasing a computer with Ubuntu Budgie pre-installed. When you purchase a computer with Ubuntu Budgie, Ubuntu Budgie will receive a percentage of the proceeds as part of this partnership
1: to Ubuntu uh, Ubuntu budgie gets some of the proceeds from yeah ubuntu
0: budgie gets some of the money when you buy one of these computers with ubuntu budgie pre-installed now it's kind of weird like that seems weird to me i don't know if that's like a commission thing because ubuntu budgie is raising awareness for them that's probably what it is but think about this so budgie is the desktop environment made by the solus project for the solus project right what yeah. is ubuntu budgie spending money on
1: like all they're doing is I guess other than like hosting images. Yeah, what, what like,
0: do they do a little bit of bandwidth on their site? What do the Ubuntu budgie developers do? They contribute to Solus, um, not yeah. Ubuntu budgie if they're contributing at all. Unless it's just going back to Solus. Right, like, so it I doesn't make a lot of sense to me that we've got a spin getting proceeds. I mean, Ubuntu mate is probably the most solid community spin. Like, um, We've got Ubuntu Gnome that's been out, but Ubuntu Gnome has always been, even though it's, like, shutting down now. Ubuntu Gnome, since it started, it was just, like, a side, people do this just for fun. Ex-Ubuntu, people do that just for fun. Lubuntu, people do that just for fun. Ubuntu Mate was, like, the first distro that was ever, like, oh, we are a spin of Ubuntu, but we are our own community. We're not part of the Ubuntu community, it's just Ubuntu Mate. Um, And... Seems like Ubuntu Budgie's kind of doing the same thing. It's really weird. Like, we're seeing less distributions, but, like, spins are making a comeback. Flavors are making a comeback, it kind of seems like. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, all orders include Ubuntu Budgie stickers and a thank you note from the team. Also, you can specify if you want the super key to have the Ubuntu Budgie logo on it instead of whatever Nimbusoft puts on their other computers. So, yeah. Um, Any other thoughts about that? No. All right. <laughs> yeah. Next story, LibreOffice 5.4.1 has been released, and it's got more than 100 bug fixes and regressions in, uh, regression fixes included. Um, that's a lot of bugs and regressions that have been fixed. Uh, let's see, it also adds more document compatibility improvements, and then it allows you to install both LibreOffice 5.3 and 5.4 side by side on the same machine on Linux and Mac OS which Windows could already do. Now the reason that's kinda cool is because 5.3 is the still version 5.4 is the fresh release um, I believe so you can have the, the stable LibreOffice and then if you want to live on the edge of your office documents then you can also try out the fresh LibreOffice. Now in my experience LibreOffice fresh has always been pretty stable anyway but,
1: yeah, so you don't have to worry about, you probably aren't going to have to worry about it like wiping or destroying yeah. your actual document.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not going to be a... It's not like... It. Right, it's not going to be super unstable if you're using fresh, but um, if you do want to have that still version on there as a backup, you can install 5.3.6 and 5.4.1 at the same time on Linux and Mac OS and Windows uh, could already do it. So yeah, that is cool. Good job to LibreOffice. Nice quick story. Uh, Richard, do you want to talk about Red Hat adding .NET Core? 2.0 to yes. Linux, yeah.
1: Basically, they talk about how Red Hat will now support Microsoft's open source .NET Core 2.0 on um, both Red Hat Enterprise Linux, Red Hat OpenShift, and Red Hat OpenShift container platform, right. which that's a big thing because they would actually be supporting it on the containers, which would be really important for it. Hmm. And um, then they also, there was some back story on the .NET Core and this one actually was released August fourteenth, so the open source version of it and um it's pretty impressive because it's basically supports dot or it supports like dot net two open source across all three platforms, which is a big step for Microsoft in terms of the open source community. like I kind of had avoided learning C sharp and yeah. of the stuff that I had on Microsoft's end. For a while, particularly when it was like being somewhat big three or four years ago, because I wanted to kind of stay with stuff that was open source that I could put on a cheaper like Linux box and not have to worry about having to get Windows server, say, to run it. And so I think this is really kind of making I think this is going to make C sharp and dot net much more important, probably because it's going to make it more commonly used. Yeah, and it's gonna make it more important to know and there's gonna be more jobs offered in it in like the language and knowing it. Mm-hmm. But um basically this version in, adi- in addition to this version obviously being supported on Red Hat Linux it's also moving 2.0 now went from 13,000 api's to 32,000 in um, 2.0 now so they've more than doubled and uh, most of these were to increase compatibility with um, net 2.0 which is right. getting the .NET standard 2.0 which is getting confusing from core <laughs> but since that's um, but since that's kind of since they're kind of different now, but um also it supports still Visual Basic, which I found interesting. <laughs> they yeah. still support all the way back there, not just C sharp and F sharp. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the main thing with containers, I think, is what's going to make it really a big thing with Red Hat and supporting it in containerized applications. Yeah, because all of a sudden you'll be able to now run C sharp stuff and stuff that was traditionally only on a Windows server on. Red Hat, Linux, and also and just in a containerized system for much cheaper. And I feel like many more people are going to move to C Sharp and learning when and I'm learning these kind of Microsoft languages.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, I
1: think that's pretty much the most things that the article talked about, that yeah. I highlighted and considered significant.
0: Yeah, this is really who Red Hat is um, and why they're so successful and why they make so much money. Uh, they're the first commercial Linux provider who is offering Enterprise support for .NET Core on its platform. Uh, no other Linux vendor is doing that. SUSE isn't doing that. Um, you know, Red Hat sees why people are using Windows over Linux, and then they go in and they say, "All right, well, let's bring that to Linux." Um, so yeah, you can get .NET Core 2.0 uh, will be available soon through Red Hat products as RPMs, so you can install with Yum, or as Linux container images, as well as Richard mentioned. So yeah, that is but all I mean, it's of-
1: also. It's also important to mention that, I mean, it was really Microsoft that did most of this
0: work because they made this compatible with Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Well, Microsoft's doing the work there, but but Red Hat's the one into, you know, Microsoft's not reaching out to Seuss to do this. They're not reaching out to Canonical to do this, for sure. Yeah, Um,
1: but by them doing that, it kind of, that was, if Microsoft hadn't done that, obviously the support would never come to the community. So I think it's kind of nice that they finally... That they seem to be embracing well, you the know, existence of Linux a little bit more. It's important I'm that you have
0: it. an enterprise support company back it up because without that, yeah. I mean, Microsoft could release all of their source code to the world, then you know you can have people popping up with like free Windows and everything. But no company, no corporation is going to rely on open source code without somebody to back it up. Um, yeah, I certainly see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, no, support. of course Microsoft did most of the work here, and yes, I appreciate that they're going more into open source because they understand if they don't, they're gonna die out. But, um, but yeah, if if you don't have Linux vendors actually using Microsoft stuff, then it's it's not gonna get picked up by big corporations using it anyway. Um, but yeah, no, definitely cool that Microsoft is making more of their stuff open source. Yeah. Um, so our final story this week. Is about a smartphone and it's from Purism. Now, in case you don't know, Purism, uh, like last year, I think it was, they crowdfunded on Kickstarter, I think. It was definitely a third party crowdfunding platform. Um, They crowdfunded the Librem 13 and the Librem 15 laptops, and they might have actually done more than one round of crowdfunding for those. Um, But yeah, they made a couple of laptops that were privacy focused and they were almost entirely libre software on them they had some issues with their bios having proprietary blobs in it um but yeah it also came with hardware microphone and webcam switches on the device so uh it's a privacy focused linux hardware device vendor yeah uh that's the background for the story so you want to talk about this new phone they're talking about
1: okay so basically they're going to call this the Librem five which definitely Mm -hmm. fits in with the rest of their Naming conventions. So this article kind of I'm on the only Ubuntu article to start out with. Oh, okay. but they basically talked about how at the time of writing they got 104,000 on the project, and it's so basically it achieved over 100,000 in funding on their crowdfunding campaign in just four days.
0: Yeah, which is a really
1: impressive milestone. It is a lot. I mean, that's a good sign for it, but I do realize they have 1.5 million <laughs> is their target. Right. <laughs> so. I mean, I feel it's like it's always the thing with
0: these the privacy stuff. Phone, yeah, yeah.
1: Like the Ubuntu phone raised a ton of money in the beginning too, yeah. but that they didn't end up reaching their milestone either, or end up reaching their funding goal either. So, I mean, I'm I'm rooting for this because I think the idea of a phone with like hardware kill switches on that stuff is pretty awesome. Yeah, because you so rarely see that on laptops, let alone like phones at all, and to have something that enters in the market that we would actually see being truly open source would be a big step forward. Mm -hmm. So basically it's going to be six hundred dollars as a tier to actually get one. Yeah. And there was at the time of it 148 people had actually backed it that way. They also had a three hundred dollar development kit. So if you wanted to develop apps for it. Yeah. Um the you could get the developer kit. And then they had a seventeen hundred dollar level which offered A handset, a keyboard, a mouse, and a thirty-inch monitor. And you I'm know, not sure how $1,100 works. How those four things work out? To add up well, to hang on. $1. All
0: right. <laughs> so to be fair, the the person who wrote the OMG a bunch article said that uh, it's been a while since I went last shopping for one, but that has to be one heck of a keyboard and monitor bundle to add $1,100 on top of the cost. Here's the thing, though. If you're looking at a 30-inch monitor, I'm guessing that's not a crappy 1080p 30-inch monitor. I'm guess like a thir- okay, I'm yeah. guessing that's a 4K monitor. Those can easily get up to 800, 900 bucks if you're getting a brand name one. Um, yeah. So yeah, I can, can
1: One with like full color spectrum support. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, so I can totally see that being a, a not super marked up price, and then also yeah. um, that is cool because I mean, I it.
1: Means, i'd like to take a specific look at what they're offering right their, yeah while you continue with that um, break,
0: it but. it is neat that they're doing that because that kind of means that they're going for convergence at least a little bit now they're not shipping as part of the base bundle but th- the fact that they're shipping a 30-inch monitor and a keyboard and mouse with their phone means that they are expecting that you'll plug the phone into this monitor and keyboard and mouse and use it as a desktop because this phone at like richard's going to talk about in a minute here runs linux Um, so yeah you'll be able to have your phone on the go working on it working with it and then get to your desk and then plug it into your monitor keyboard and mouse maybe have one set of of equipment at your work and one set of equipment at your home but take your phone back and forth with you you know it opens up all kinds of possibilities with convergence that's what Ubuntu was working on and now that Ubuntu has backed out of that space it's nice to see that somebody else is trying to get into it Um, did you find any more details out?
1: Um I was looking I'm on their like campaign page right now hmm. and it does just say Libram five phone with a compatible thirty inch monitor, keyboard and mouse. So I'm assuming then that the thirty inch monitor like you're saying is probably gonna be pretty good. And they're trying to make I would it hope like, so. when they say compatible, they're trying to emphasize <laughs> i would There's trying to emphasize, it, yeah. yeah, working and like kind of a seamless experience, hopefully, between them, which would definitely be a cool idea. Although compatible doesn't necessarily imply a seamless experience. Right. I mean, for all I know, that could just be an HDMI. But um, so basically, back to the other stuff in the article, mm-hmm. I actually wanted to go to the beta news one because they gave a little more information on the actual details of it. Mm. But they specifically mentioned um, that it will run GNOME as the desktop environment but it will be able to run basically any distro they want to make sure any like linux compatible distro um that you'll be able to put on it it will come by default with uh, PureOS, which is the same thing as they put on their laptops and their goal with theirs at least was to make encrypted calls that master your phone number to encrypt text and emails to set up vpn services so that would be interesting i guess you would get vpn out of the box
0: was what they were kind of talking about. I think about they're then. talking about
1: having easy VPN setup. Okay. So maybe it's not out of the box, but it's like pretty much integrated and you can do it pretty quick yeah. without having to say buy an external like buy an or install third-party
0: programs for you know, install a VPN client yeah. like it'll just be integrated. And then
1: of course they did they mentioned the enable kill switches for the camera, microphone, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and even baseband. I assume by baseband they just mean the RF radio itself to communicate with cellular in general. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's really cool to have it for all five things, kill switches for that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Baseband's is you uh, don't see a kill switch for that on a lot of phones. Yeah. So most people don't even like know what I've a baseband is. That. Yeah. Um,
1: but, I mean, I think that's most things. And I said, pure OS obviously is going to be open source.
0: The right. source code will be and made publicly available, code, but which that's may... not
1: that surprising.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not that surprising, but it is pretty different. You know, like yeah. we were, we were just talking before the show about how iOS Apple respects privacy but you can't see the source code so you don't actually know if they're respecting your privacy for sure and then Google says that they're spying on you and then shows you the source code so you can say yep they're definitely spying on me Um, and then there's some things that Google does that you can't see the source code for that's heavily restricted with licenses Um, and so yeah we had a user in our chat room um, saying that they didn't want to use G apps on their Android phone because even though Android is open source not all the Google apps are So yeah, having a phone that is one hundred percent open source is definitely something that a lot of people would welcome.
1: Yeah. I mean in this article, one thing they also do point out is that it doesn't the quote like initial renders of it certainly don't make it look like it's ugly keeping up with the trends. (laughs) Ugly. (laughs) Look
0: at this phone. It it looks horrible. It looks like a brick. (laughs) Like it's too, now they, they, they cite. They have slightly smaller bezels though. It looks like still in the iPhone. That, but... No, well, let's try and figure out why it looks bad. So it, there, there are some sort of large bezels. Um, yeah. The bezels I, are slightly smaller than the iPhone. <laughs> they're yeah. Around. They're not that, they're not even that big a bezel. I think, I mean, the, the corners, I guess should be more rounded, huh? Um, yeah. I can't tell exactly how big it is from the renders. It looks a little big for a phone, I guess. Uh, yeah. either that or that just the icons on the screen are too big What's the um,
1: little i don't know it doesn't just seems it's off squarish than rectangular yeah <laughs> something seems like
0: <clears throat> like the ratio of height to width is not
1: quite right for a phone
0: yeah um yeah i, I guess the top and bottom bezels should be bigger more than anything because i've had a phone with tiny side bezels the LG g 2 and it was great but yeah that just the some about this looks off and they should definitely do, get it that, just
1: worries <laughs> me though when these are their renders where you would think they could you can kind of do anything you want with the render on the one <laughs> and hand yeah but on the, the other idea
0: yeah yeah that is true but on the other hand it means they still have the opportunity to go back and and you know tweak things before they actually make it yeah. looking at the back of the phone um yeah i mean the the back of it is all one material like there's no seams or anything in the back which should be nice but i think the aspect ratio is off yeah like if you tilt That's your head that is that 16 to 9 it was is that 16 to 9 is that is it a nine to 16 aspect ratio? I can't tell.
1: Yeah, I can't tell either,
0: and it doesn't but, really seem to mention it. I mean, I let me go back to their... Um, I mean, a, no, a normal phone, I guess, isn't, is it? A normal phone is 16 to 10, or like my phone is. Yeah. Well, don't know about normal, but that might be what it is if it is a 16 to nine and we're not used to that. Um, but yeah, we've got... It, it's a little thick. The buttons on the side are pretty big From the render and then the back of it i just the way it's around it 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 just looks it definitely looks very strange so um, yeah (laughs) yeah hopefully they'll make it look a little better before they launch if they ever want to catch this with the mainstream they will probably have to do that yeah well they're not they're not necessarily target audience they're not on the one hand some people would say oh they're not going for the mainstream they're going for privacy conscious people on the other hand i'm privacy conscious and i would like a phone to look good so yes just addressing that argument before it comes up, um, so, I don't want my like,
1: like my smartphone to just look like it's a giant brick.
0: Right and now, it is worth mentioning that they've been working on R and D for this thing for 18 months, uh, and this is sort of what they've been doing over the last 18 months. When they've been shipping the the laptops that they had sold before that, they've been working on this phone behind the scenes. Um, it's also interesting. I just wanted to point out that this this is a self hosted crowdfunder. So the original Lieberman, like I said, I don't remember if it was uh, Kickstarter or. Uh, GoFundMe or Indiegogo or, or um, what it, well, I don't remember exactly what it was but it was definitely a third party Kickstarter site that they were on whereas now if you go to sign up for it it is on uh, Purism's website so you buy it through their website you're not going through anyone else which is a good thing because like it, you know you're working directly with the person making it also a bad thing because you don't have somebody guaranteeing that you'll get it um, if something yeah. goes wrong you know no insurance in that sense, but yeah, they they have raised 174,000 as of today. They've got 50 days to raise the rest of it. I don't know what will happen if they only make part of it, but uh, they've raised 11.6% so far. So we'll have the link in the show notes if you do want to support this. It looks like something you're interested in, um, and that is our last story for this week. Do you have any other thoughts on it?
1: Um, not really. I think we covered everything.
0: All right. I, well, like
1: I think we covered this one really well from just the from yeah. pretty much every angle.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah, this is a um, this was a, a pretty good week for Linux News. And if you do want to read any of the articles that we had on screen today, you can go to rr.knots.co as it's on the screen right there, and it will take you to a page with all the episodes of Rolling Release and all of their show notes. Um, so, yeah, if you do like the show, please consider supporting Nerd on the Street by going to nerdclub.com dot and that'll take you to a page where you can sign up on patreon or write on our website through stripe and you can pay us three dollars a month to keep making shows like this one if you like getting your linux news every week that's like less than a dollar per episode um so that's pretty good i think um yep yeah. and my name is jacob you can find me uh on the website throughout the week hey richard where can people find you throughout the week if they want more of you
1: um
0: at glorif 22
1: on twitter <clears throat> do you have that actually in the thing yet in what thing in the
0: um in the like view i mean if i put your name up it does yeah uh,
1: okay there you
0: go yeah right. I'm At lore of 22 on twitter mine's at jacob but i don't tweet much so you should just go to nerd the instead if you want to talk to me um, yeah, but yeah i also
1: do have a blog
0: at richardsprojects.net as that's well. right there's a link from there's a link for my twitter to that as well so mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in this week. Hopefully you liked that news and we'll be back with more news next week. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Richard Bimmer. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye.